Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Reset with me, Sam Delaney. This is the podcast where I talk to normal blokes using normal language, I hope, about all the perfectly normal stuff that's going on up inside our heads. It's mental health, but without all the usual bollocks. Mind you, I suppose you wouldn't necessarily call this week's guest particularly normal. Chris Ryan is an SAS legend. In 1991, during the first Gulf War, he was part of the Bravo 2-0 mission behind enemy lines in Iraq. When the mission was compromised, Chris was the only member of the squadron to escape capture, and he subsequently walked over 100 miles across the desert to the Syrian border. Despite his heroic image, he's such a down-to-earth bloke, he's easy to talk to, he's a good laugh, and he hasn't got any of that macho bullshit that you might expect from someone like that. Nowadays, he's a best-selling author and security expert, and he also does a brilliant podcast of his own called Life or Death with Chris Ryan, in which he talks to other elite soldiers about their experiences and their lives. It is, of course, action-packed, but there's also a sensitivity to it. They often end up talking a great deal about mental health matters, and I think there's something powerful about these tough guys talking casually and naturally about their feelings. If you're ever worried that chatting about your feelings might make you seem weak or whiny, the sound of ex-SAS and Navy SEALs doing just that should help change your mind a bit. Anyway, I had a great conversation this week with Chris, who was speaking to me live from his lovely place in the French Alps. Hope you enjoy it. Chris Ryan, welcome to The Reset. Hi, Sam. How are you? Good, mate. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, now... When I listen to your podcast, Life or Death with Chris Ryan, the first question you often ask the people you speak to, or all fellow military people like yourself, is what was your childhood like and what led you to join the military? And, and it's always, what's fascinating to me is every single person you speak to, there's always a very strong connection with a usually, to be honest, unhappy childhood and and joining the military. What's your story? Well, um, I was born in uh, the northeast. Um, I had 
a, a, a nice upbringing. It was a loving, I had loving parents. Uh, there was nothing, you know, nothing bad there. The only thing that we didn't have was any money. Um, it was a very poor um, childhood, um, not for anybody's you know, fault. My father worked in construction and every winter he'd be laid off. So there was no money there. Um, and hence we didn't travel anywhere. And for some reason, I just wanted to see the world. And um, there was this driving ambition throughout my childhood to, to travel. And every time I would say something to my father about, you know, can we go to Oxford or can we, you know, it wasn't that, you know, I wasn't asking to go abroad anywhere. It was just to see England. And he said, oh, there's nothing down there for you. You, you know, don't worry about that. And we would have holidays which were 15 miles out of Newcastle in a tent. Um, and basically the only way I could see me traveling was to join the military. And in them days, we had bases all around the world. So as far as I was concerned, you know, I'd get out to the, the Far East, um, Germany, maybe America, Central America. Um, and, and that was the driving force. Now, going back to the uh, question, I can remember on probably the first year I was in the regiment, uh, there was a group of us who'd been out drinking and we were back in the uh, camp. And that question came up about why did you why did you join the army? And one guy, he lived, he's a very good friend of mine, he lived in um, a council block in Edinburgh and he wanted to get escape from that. Then it went to another guy, basically he wanted to get away. And then this, this other guy came out with, um, he said, um, well, I needed to escape from home because my father used to sexually abuse me. Mm. And everybody stopped and we were waiting to see if this was some kind of sick joke and it wasn't. He said, uh, my father used to come in and abuse me. He said, my mum knew that it was going on. So the only way I could escape was to join the military. And it, it, it brought it home to me that you're absolutely right. A, a lot of people that join the army are escaping from something. And that was the worst example that I, I'd heard. Um, but it's usually just to get away from an area. Um, again, um, like I say, it probably wasn't the, the, the most sensible reason to join the military, to travel. But uh, that's, why, that's why I joined. You've got to be pretty mentally resilient in the, in the military, haven't you? Like, at an early age, you're there and it's tough. It's strict. It must be scary to a lot of young people. Well, I think what it is, the, 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 there's a certain type join, join the military and they actually like the structure. They like, um, this is, sounds weird, but it's being cared for and looked after. When you're in the military, you know, the doctor is on hand, the dentist is on hand. On a Wednesday, you do, you know, physical training. Um, you get your uniform, you get your pay. You don't have to worry about anything. And I think this is, um, also, this is something that when a lot of servicemen leave the military, they trip up and um, they find it very, very difficult to get into, say, you know, into um, some sort of structured life in civ civilian city street. Because, again, you've been looked after for maybe 22 years. And then all of a sudden, you've got to find yourself a job, you've got to find yourself a home. Um, you've got to pay the bills and everything else. And that's why I think we, we see a lot of homeless soldiers. 
when you when when came back to that story when when um the, the the bloke said that he'd been sexually abused what was everyone's response because well we were not- all shocked yeah we were all shocked um i think the guys in the room basically it all come from you know a decent background whether it was a single parent but we'd never you know been subjected to anything like this and i i took my hat off to that guy to admit to admit to it um and um it, everybody was just, you know, quiet. Um, and I think, you know, we, we walked away thinking, you know, actually my life wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, it can always be a lot worse. And, and sadly, that sort of shit goes on. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's just horrific, you know, to put a child through that. Um, and you always, I, I believe you always... You know, when your your parents are there, it's a fallback. They're a safety net for you. You know, I mean, I, I lost both my parents um, a few years ago. But I, even as a you know, 59-year-old, sometimes I'll be sitting and go, you know, I just want to ring my mum or my dad just to have a chat. And you can't. Now, I cannot mentally think of, of them two people ever doing anything nasty to me. Um, you know, there was there, there was faults, but um, but nothing like that. And I just, I, I just really felt sorry for the guy um, to go to have to have been through such a horrific um, thing. You know, um, yeah, you were in the SAS, and you know that's regarded by the general public to be, you know, these are the toughest guys in the world. And yet, when I hear you talking to former colleagues on the podcast you are all very open about challenges to do with mental health and feelings is that more of a recent thing or even when you were serving were you all able to talk openly well no it wasn't um back back when i was in the regiment um mental health was never ever um spoken about and uh, i'll give you an example when i um got out of um iraq and eventually got back to Hereford. Um, the other members who had been captured in that patrol were obviously back in Hereford. Um, I was I was summoned up to the CO's uh, office, and uh, as I went in, he said, uh, "Just sit down." He said, "I want you know a, a talk for five minutes." He, he said, um, "You're going to go through into a room, and uh, there's going to be a psychiatrist and a psychologist there, and um, basically they want to set up." Um, some sort of clinic within camp. Now, the, the old CEO is going, obviously, we don't need these people here. So when you go in there, you tell them that you're fine. Um, everything's great. Um, and, you know, just stick to the storyline. So I went, yeah, okay. Um, I went in and these two guys were sat there. They had drawings on on the board of, of a jug with water. And they started saying, you know, Basically, stress levels are normal human being. The jug is half full. He said, but you are probably overflowing and, and blah, blah, blah. And then they said, do you have any um, bad dreams? And I said, no. So that was the first lie. Um, how's family life? Um, I said, fine. That was the second lie. Um, has your character changed? And I'm like, no. That was the third lie. So it went on and on and on. And then they said, what do you want to do? And basically, I said, listen, it's lunchtime. Um, I want to go for a run. So they went, yeah, okay, go. Now, with mental health, 
you don't see the changes because you look at the world through the same eyes and you think you're normal. It's your family and friends who see a change in your character. And I'd been, I become very aggressive, but it, it was just normal to me. And um, <clears throat> what had happened is my sergeant major had gone to a good friend of mine and said, Kev, um, we need you to keep an eye on him and um, you know, just report back and let us know what he's doing. So Kev came to me and he went, listen, mate, they're watching you, which made me even more paranoid mm. and, um, and probably made, the, made the, the whole thing even worse. Then I was sent out to Zaire to evacuate the British embassy. And whilst I was out there, and this is in hindsight, I probably had a bit of a breakdown where I, I just became really nasty. And, um, you know, if, if there was an argument, it would develop into a fight. Um, there was one horrific example that I can give you, um, which I, even today, I, I, I just feel like sick. In fact, if you can give me one minute, I will show you the, the actual um, ornament that I, I, I bought. Oh, Two yeah. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Um, there was a one on one day we had to uh, recce, recce the route because um, we were going to take the um, British ambassador down to the Portuguese ambassador. So as we were driving into town, um, the market was on and um, I said to the guy, just stop a minute and um, let's have a walk around here. So as I, as I was walking around this market, we were carrying weapons overtly. Anyway, I came across this bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This statuette. But what was weird, there was just something about it I had to have. And it was a burning desire for this, this carving. So I said to the guy, um, how much? And um, we were arguing over $5 for it. So I didn't have any money on me. And I said, right, I'll go up to the embassy. I'll come back with the money and um, you stay here. And he went, no, no, no. He was that desperate for the money. He said, um, Take me to the embassy and, um, and you know, you, I'll get the money there. And I said, well, listen, I'm not driving you back into town. So as we're driving up to the embassy, we're going along the, the edges of uh, the River Congo, which is one of the fastest flowing rivers in Africa. And I said to my, my mate who was driving, um, I said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to pay this guy this money. Um, I'm going to shoot the fucker. And I looked over at the guy and what I could see was his brains splattered at the back end of the car. And Duncan, who was driving, said, if you shoot him, you're cleaning the mess up. And I sat there and I looked at him again. I went, yeah. And I had my hand on the pistol and I went, ah, fuck it. Yeah. Okay. So we pulled into the embassy. I went in there, got the $5, came out. And this poor guy understood English and he knew what we'd been talking about. He took that $5 off me and he ran like hell away from me. And when I think back, Sam, it's, I, it, I'm full of like, it's disgraceful. Um, and that was my mindset. And that isn't a normal mindset of a human being. And um, I knew there was something wrong in that I, I, was, I was probably mentally sick. Um, 
again, I didn't get any help for it or, or, or whatever, but it was a, a per- probably a period of time where I, I was really unstable and I shouldn't have been on any operations. How long was it between you getting back from Iraq and being oh, sent it was about, on this? It was about three months um, and then sent out. And again, I shouldn't have been sent out on that operation. What it was is I was a trained um, patrol medic. I was a communicator. So I had all of the skill sets um, that was needed to do this operation in terms of evacuating the ambassador. Um, so they just sent me. But it was... What, what kicked things off? When, we, you, when you go on an operation, you, you, you will put in um, for different weapons, um, you know, claymore mines, hand grenades, and whatever equipment. And they said, no, you can take an MP5 and a pistol. And it just smacked of the Bravo 2-0 patrol where we were ill-equipped. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's happening again. And I think it tipped me over the edge. But um, it was probably several years later where I would say, in fact, I know the day um, I would say uh, I'd get over it. I was on training wing as an instructor, um, selecting and training guys for the regiment. And one day I woke up in the jungle and it was as if the fog and the mist had cleared. And I I, I can remember sitting on my A-frame saying to myself, what the hell have you done? You know, I'd split up from my wife. Um, I'd, you know, I'd deserted my 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 daughter, and uh, it was just just one of them moments where there was clarity, and uh, I realised what I'd done, and I think that was probably a, a stepping stone <laughs> to becoming normal again. So you got normal again, as you say, but you didn't do it in a way that would be considered conventional. You sort of no. just had to ride it out. Yeah, it it was. It was a storm. But I think time is a, is a great healer. Um, my integration into civilian life, I was lucky because when I left the regiment, I was part of a, a bodyguard team and they were all ex-regiment guys. So we were, we were working as a civilian security team, mixing with civilians, but it was all ex-regiment guys. So it, my re-entry into civilian life, I think it was tapered down mm-hmm. and, um, I can see now how, you know, guys go from being in the military and then the next day they're a civilian and how difficult it must be for them. Because all that structure and the camaraderie. Yep, and you miss that. And the sense of humour is different um, within, the, within the military. You have this black humour um, where, I guess, in civilian life, you have to be slightly more guarded in what you see and what you do and you've been, you the thing is you've all been through extreme experiences experiences that the average civilian cannot begin to comprehend or fathom and oh, I, so it's hard for you, you to were working, communicate with with people who haven't been through that about your experiences and your feelings about it yeah no totally i mean if you were working in an industry where in 10 years you'd been to 18 funerals you'd be like thinking, mm, health and safety is not very good here. Um, we would always mourn, you know, the death of somebody for a day and then it was back to work. And that's not right. You know, that's not, a, that's not how a human being should be. Again, um, 
five of the guys that I passed into the regiment are kill, were killed. You know, and it, it was just one of them things. You just think, well, he's, he's, he's gone. He's not here anymore. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I mean, I, one, one particular guy, a young lad called Fergus Rennie, uh, it still haunts me, his death, because he was a great soldier. And when... We were on the jungle phase um, in Brunei. Um, I had the opportunity to sack this guy. He made a big mistake, but I, I let him off with it because he was such a good soldier. And he was the first SAS soldier to be killed in Bosnia. And that, I think, his death has haunted me because, again, if I'd had the conviction and sacked him, he would have still been alive now. Um, and like I say, five others, five of the, the guys that, that I passed have, have, have died. In fact, it was only late last year, um, one of the guys who died, he, he, at the time, his wife was pregnant. And uh, his son now is, is in his 20s. He contacted me and he just, you know, he wanted to know what his dad was like. And I, 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 it, that, that hit me. Uh, that hit me for six where, you know, you're talking to another generation about, you know, his dad that I'd, I'd had on selection that I took through. Um, and again, I think things like that just chip away at, at you, whether it's your morality or, you know, just you realize how fragile life is. And, um, and it's not normal. Where when we were in the SAS, it was... It was you, people used to make it normal, or that was you know that was the game, and it's not you know. You didn't process it, did you? But is no. it necessary at some stage in life? You're going to have to face all of that and process it. Oh, totally. Yeah, you've got to face it, and I didn't, and not. I think most regiment guys uh, don't um, accept it. It's just it's happened, and you know you move on. But you have to grieve. Um, I did a thing for. Um, the armed services uh, at uh, St. Martin's church in Hereford, where I did a piece to camera and I'm looking at all these gravestones uh, and they were all guys that I served with, I went out for a, a beer with, and then they were all lying there. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I got really choked up. Um, and it's, it's like anybody that when you lose somebody, they're always at that age. So they, they, you know, when I looked at them, there were young, still young guys in there. And I think that's as a, as an older person with probably maturity, you then start questioning, you know, um, why and, you know, was it worth it? Um, and, 
uh, well, I think it's just a time thing, Sam. It's um, time heals, but also you, you never forget. And I think the older you get, the more you realize how horrific it was. You know, we were in a system where you couldn't show, say, your feelings. You couldn't, you could certainly couldn't like sit there and cry your eyes out. Um, you couldn't, you know, get morbid and because people would say, what, what's wrong with you? You know, get a grip. This is, you know, this is it. Um, but like I say, 18, 18 guys that I served with and five on top of that who I trained, <laughs> you know. You know, it's well documented your experiences in the Gulf War. Uh, you were subject to mock execution, which is obviously, I, I'm guessing, one of the most traumatic things that can happen to someone. Uh, uh, well, I was really annoyed with myself because when they did that, um, they, they, they dragged me out of a vehicle, put me on, on my knees, bent my head down, and I knew the guy behind me had a pistol, and he stuck the pistol into the, into the back of my neck. I was absolutely furious with myself for handing myself over to the police, thinking I was safe. I mean, obviously they didn't execute me. They were just having a joke, but um, it was all the physical damage was done in Iraq. And I know any mental damage I had was, was in Syria. Now, there's a number of factors there. Um, obviously, when I was walking uh, the 200 miles, there was, the, you know, the blisters, the cuts, the bruises and everything else, uh, the starvation and, and whatnot. But mentally and physically, I was at a, a very low ebb when I got into Syria. So that was that the the mental side was um, heightened by me being very weak. Now, again, like I say, I was annoyed that I'd given myself up to these guys and that I hadn't carried on walking to Damascus. I probably would have never gotten there. But when they did that, and then they tried to trick me into thinking that. I was going to Baghdad into a prisoner of war camp. At that point, <clears throat> I, rather than say break, what I did is I was sat in the car and I thought, okay, right, let's get your head around this. If we're going to a prisoner of war camp, the first thing that will happen is we'll drive in through the, the, the camp gates, uh, the door will open, they'll drag me out, I'll get kicked, beaten, punched, I'll be dragged downstairs into a cell, I'll get a few more punches so I kept running that through my head kept pushing it through my head so it wasn't going to be a fright so I was expecting to get beaten up and then questioned and then you know gathered my thoughts as it was it, it didn't happen I ended up in the the headquarters of the secret police uh, being really you know looked after well and fed and it was these guys were just having a like a you know they were just entertaining themselves at uh, <laughs> my displeasure. But, um, you know, it... Uh... When you got back, you know, you say, first of all, you bullshitted the, um, you know, the shrinks that they, that they introduced you to, um, sort of on orders, and then they sent you straight back out on another mission. What, in retrospect, what would have been the best way for you to have been treated on your return from Iraq? Well, they should have sat me down, or they should have sat all of the patrol members down and had a had a, an intense debrief, um, which there wasn't a debrief. It was left just to rot. Um, and that was unusual for the regiment because any operation that we did, we always had a big, like, 
big debriefing on what went right, what went wrong. So that was the first mistake. There was enough guys in the regiment to pick, you know, guys that probably weren't shell-shocked um, to do that operation. But as it was, you know, they just went, yeah, he, he ticks all the boxes, get him out there. Because again, that mental health thing wasn't recognized and they really, nobody heard of PTSD in them days or, you know, um, or that somebody might be not right. Although having said all of that, when I joined B Squadron, there was guys there from who had fought in the Oman campaigns and some of them were barking. They were out and out nutcases. And one guy, he, he was involved with a lot of the campaigns in Oman and then he was involved with the, the storming of the embassy. Well, he had a breakdown in the embassy where he ran around. There was lots of their bins, black bins, and he was convinced the terrorists were hidden in these bins. So he went around spraying um, these bins with his MP5, shooting them up, and uh, <laughs> he just lost the plot. Wow. But again, nobody recognized it. They just went, yeah, that's him. You know, uh, don't worry about that. But um, it's this thing of just brushing it off and not accepting it. And also, what you have to remember as well, Sam, in the regiment, when you go through um, your career, uh, you're guided by obviously a rank structure. And the further up the ladder you get, the less jobs there are available for, for, uh, for your rank. Now, if you say to somebody, mm, you know what, um, I think I might have some mental problems or I don't feel right, it would be seen as weakness and you wouldn't get promoted. So you were constantly lying, saying, yeah, I'm fine, putting a big face on it um, and, um, and not showing any weakness. Have you ever had any therapy? No, no, no. I'm, I'm over it now. But again, see, I was lucky. When I left the army, I was in a well-paid job, um, you know, doing the bodyguarding. And then I moved on to the books. And again, it was this re-entry into, into my life was tapered. Um, as, we've, as I just said, some guys leave the army and they don't have a pot to pee in. Uh, they don't have a job. They've got to register, you know, maybe at the dole office, they've got to get them social housing if they can. Um, and, you know, they, they, they suffer um, from that. Um, where I, I was very fortunate, um, I, you know, my bills were being paid and um, I was with a bunch of guys who, you know, we all, we all had the same thought process. What about how do, you, how do you wean yourself off the adrenaline and the buzz that comes well, from your I mean, <clears throat> I can still, as you can see, I can go ski mountaineering. Um, I can, I still do a bit of free fall. Um, I, when I'm in America, I'll go to the gun range only because I, I, I quite like shooting uh, with the, the pistols. I can go to the gun range. Um, I've got motorbikes. Um, I can ride them. Uh, so I guess it's, as I'm getting older, I, you know, I do less of it, but <clears throat> the um i think it's keeping active and um and making an effort again um i think it was 2 years ago uh i rode over america with some guys from the regiment and that was just great it was great crack you know we were like all of a certain age uh on these harleys and it was such a laugh you know um in 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 some days it was really hard riding especially if the weather wasn't good um it was refreshing and we went to places that 
I've always wanted to visit. Um, you know, like the little, like, you know, the, the Battle of um, Little Bighorn type of thing and, mm. you know, various other places, um, you know, monuments, uh, Monument Valley, uh, Mount Rushmore, places like that. And it was, like I say, it was like a, a breath of fresh air. It's like being back in the army, except we were civilians. So let me ask you this. Clearly, you're quite open about your experiences and, and, and the impact they had on you. And hopefully when you were on that road trip, you were able to chat with, with the other fellas about things, about feelings or mental health or what, what have you. I don't know whether you did. But what I would say is there's a lot of young blokes out there who still don't open up because they think that it might seem weak, it might seem whingy, and they just don't want to be perceived in that way. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, our servicemen and women uh, these days have been embedded in two campaigns which has lasted over 20 years. And <clears throat> they were pretty horrific campaigns with all the IEDs, you know, um, and the injuries. It was probably not the deaths, but it was the horrific injuries that they would be subjected to or they've seen. Now, the trouble is, <clears throat> when these young men and women were coming back, say they would have their decompression time where they could go back home on leave. They couldn't really talk to their, you know, old school friends or their, you know, their civilian friends and explain the intensity. They just wouldn't understand, you know, the, uh, the average civilian would not understand what the conditions they were living in, what, this, what they saw, what they did. So for anybody that is in, in the services that feels that things aren't right, you should really seek out a friend that either served or is serving and speak to them and, and tell them, you know, what is bother, what's bothering them, you know, their thought process. But it's best to talk about it rather than, you know, keeping, keeping it locked up. Because again, I lost quite a few friends to suicide and they, they were carrying a lot of baggage and never spoke to anybody. And from the from like an outsider, they looked happy. They looked at, you know, everything was great. And then the next day, they're just going, I, in fact, there was an example one. One of my friends, he had a breakdown and um, he threw himself from an aircraft um, over Oxford and um, obviously died. And at the funeral, there was another guy there, um, a guy that I'd served with in B Squadron, and we were talking and I said, how's things? He went, yeah, great. I've got a job down in London, you know, <clears throat> chatting away. He went home and hung himself. And I didn't see a thing. You know, he, he just looked happy. He looked great. And, and I didn't see any sign of, of any mental trauma in him. And yeah, after the funeral, he went home, stuck a rope around his neck and, and hung himself from the banister. Um, and I think men, especially men, have to get over this this whole deal of of keeping things tucked in, and not seeing yourself as being weak or strange. You know, it's like if you lost an arm, the first thing you're going to do is scream for a doctor to sew it back on. It's no different when you're getting strange thoughts or you know you're unsettled between your ears. Um, usually it'll be somebody very close to you will will see the changes in you. 
they'll see that you're not the same person. And that's when you have to take action and not, not feel any shame about it. Just talk. And that can be, that can be, it doesn't have to be an ex-serviceman. It could be somebody who has never been in the army, you know, different things affect different people. And it might be, you might've seen an accident. You might've been involved in an accident. You might have pressure from work and, you know, signs are when you start losing sleep and another bad thing is a lot certainly within men they then self-medicate with alcohol which makes the problem even worse and you just end up getting it's nearly like a noose around your neck it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and the drinking gets out of hand and then you may you know be directed to taking drugs or, or whatever, but you're not going to solve it. You're just going to make the problem worse. So open up. Yeah, you've got to. And it doesn't matter from what what type of life you have is, is just open up to, you know, a family member or, you know, a, a professional and, and, and tell them, be honest, you know, what are you seeing? I mean, I went through, I went through a period of two years where I was looking at people and I could see bullet holes in them. And I was that barking. I thought I'd been gifted from God and I could predict how people were going to die. That's how screwed up. Wow. And I, I didn't see anything wrong with it because I thought God had given me this gift and I could predict, you know, how somebody was going to be killed. That's freaking, that's, that's, a, that's barking. You know? That's terrifying. It's, that's it's, terrifying, it's, isn't it? Looking back. But anyway, Chris, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm really grateful that you're so open and honest about your own experiences. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad things are good for you these days. And I'm looking at you here, sat with the Alps behind you. <laughs> I'm surprised you've still got the strange wooden, wooden carving. I hope that doesn't provoke any flashbacks. No, no, it doesn't. I look at this thing now and I keep saying, what the hell did I see in this carving? <laughs> well, he looks like the devil. That's what's scary about it. He looks like Satan and he sort of almost got inside your head. Yeah, well, no, I will keep him um, and it'll always remind me of um, a darker period in my life. <laughs> so. Chris Ryan, thanks very much. No, thank you, Sam. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Chris has experienced stuff in his life that most of us probably can't relate to. I mean, you probably haven't had to walk 100 miles across a desert being chased by Saddam Hussein's henchmen, then been subjected to a mock execution. I know I haven't. But you might just be struggling with normal problems, everyday stuff. The principle still applies. Whatever is causing your worry or your sadness or your anger, it needs to be talked about because that's how you start to get it off your chest and start working out how to deal with it. And if Chris can talk about this stuff, then you can too. Anyway, lads, stay strong. Keep chatting to each other. Don't let the bastards get you down. Oh, and remember to subscribe to the weekly reset newsletter at samdelaney.substack.com. It's free, so why wouldn't you? See you next time.